The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 171 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the membership director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined today by our founder, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hello, Kevin. Hi, Chris. Good to be with you again, as usual, in these highly troubled and turbulent times, right? So it'd be good to good to see some creativity coming so that we don't have to batten down the hatches and, and kind of worry about this wind. There's lots of creative things we can do to cut our way through that. And we've got a great guest today, uh, somebody who I resonate with personally very much, and his lovely, lovely wife, Kate. Uh, but you'll do the introduction to that one, I'm sure. I will indeed. Uh, today's guest is Toby Spanier, who has been a member of Wealth Builders for a number of years. Uh, first contacted Wealth Builders to uh, set up a SaaS and then joined the Wealth Builders Academy. And uh, he will talk today about the five-year plan he put in place, which he's executed on. He's helped him achieve his financial independence. And he's now joining our team of wealth coaches to help other members to build Ooh, wealth. What a journey. And of course, you know, he's an extraordinarily gifted and intelligent man, as you'll hear. Um, you know, you can you can tell he's an erudite gentleman and a gentleman as, as well. And I've been on the receiving end of his selflessness. Him and Kate um, have been completely selfless with with me and thanking me for my small contribution uh, to helping them on their journey. And recently, as uh, Toby marked his exit from Deloitte, you know, so really a prestigious organization where he was a senior person. And you could hear when I went to the drinks party, what other people thought of him. And that's just echoed and permeates through every fiber of his being is such a nice and uh, a nice, able, uh, direct at times. But you want that, don't you? You want that directness because you're cutting through crap. Um, and just as there's lots of crap right now, Toby, I'm sure, has got some great ideas to help you cut your way through it. Absolutely. And, and Toby's followed followed the plan, as we mentioned. And, uh, you know, the Wealth Builders plan includes some uh, some key components, our nine-step uh, recurring revenue roadmap. One of those steps, Kevin, is turning the wheel of wealth. And you'll hear Toby today refer to turning the wheel. But for, for listeners who perhaps are, are not familiar with it, should we just quickly um, explain what the wheel of wealth, um, you know, uh, components are? Hmm. Yeah, so so I created the concept of the Wheel of Wealth uh, to try and act as a principle. Uh, and I imagined that the process of building wealth needs to be likened to either cogs in a set of gears or, you know, some of you can imagine a cog. Imagine a cog that's broken into five separate components or a wheel, whatever, just a circle. And you can break it down like almost like pieces of cheese on a on a Trivial Pursuit board, there's there's five separate parts. And my view was, as I thought about it, you've got to turn the wheel completely, uh, which means 360. So if you imagine a wheel then, and you imagine at the top at 12 o'clock is where you start, and you finish at 12 o'clock on the other side. And when you turn the wheel, and I'll describe the elements of the wheel in just a moment, the purpose of it, though, the purpose of taking the wheel in the first place, which is to look at a strategy inside the wealth building activity. So any of the pillars and strategies 
that are underneath the pillars. So important to understand the pillars are the broad categories of the seven uh, ways you can build wealth. And then each strategy, and there are hundreds of strategies, uh, flow out from each of those pillars. So um, in this case, then, the idea is when the wheel turns 360, you can almost hear, or you should hear in your mind anyway, an audible click. And the purpose of the the click is to say, right, I've turned the wheel fully, and that should deliver to me or my family an outflow of either cash, a lump sum, uh, or capital might be an easy way to frame that, capital or a flow of income. And whether you're looking for projects that give you a flow of capital, which is great, or whether you're looking for cash flow, which of course is the foundation of all wealth building is continual flows of cash that recur and recur and recur, then that's what we're trying to get to. So every strategy, if you turn the wheel, and those who work with us and wealth builders, Chris, they they use a standard line, don't they, that, that we say to them. Do you want to mention what we say? Is you don't cheat the wheel. You don't cheat the wheel. You don't cheat the wheel. And people cheat the wheel because they try and take shortcuts. So here's how to not cheat the wheel and make it work. Now, sometimes it doesn't work for reasons I'll describe. So let's break it down. We've got our five portions, our five spokes. The first is education. You know, every form of wealth building starts with understanding of how does the asset work? How does this strategy work? Do I understand it? Because in order to create value, you have to understand where you're going to create the value from in the first place. Where are the points of value? How do you apply your skill uh, and existing knowledge to that? But more importantly, more often than not, you need new knowledge. So where's that new knowledge going to come from? And that's the first portion. That's the first spoke is education. Now, second, as we know, I was talking to somebody the other day and and they said what they loved about wealth builders was the fact they could go to wealth builders as a place of trust, that our USPs, we've curated outstanding people, people who are the best in their field. And she said, I feel safe there because otherwise, you know, my Facebook feed, my Instagram feed, my email feeds, everything is about people wanting to sell me education, sell me a course, sell me a course, sell me a course. And there's a danger there, isn't there, that people can be tempted to buy courses that don't really turn the wheel. They just provide the one part of it, which is the education. So that second part is independent support, support from people who've got your back, support from people who are not just trying to get you to buy another course, but to help you apply and implement the knowledge that you're just learning. And wealth builders are just great at that support. Now, the third is the best way to learn, Chris, as we know, is not just the academics, but the practical aspects of doing that. And the best people to show you that are people who've already done it. And that's another USP. So we have hundreds, if not thousands of connections, connections to other people who are on the same journey as you, who are willing to share. And we've talked about this in the past that, we expect wealth builders to be uh, have humility to ask for help, but the selflessness to give help. And people are often surprised, aren't they, Chris, by how helpful people are in the wealth building space compared to perhaps what they were in the employee space. Anyway, 
Spoke number three is uh, connections. So if you want to learn something, and let's say they're working with wealth builders, we will connect you to somebody who's executed that strategy well so you can go take a look. And if you take a look, that's probably one of the first times you'll realize whether you want to carry on. Because sometimes you go look at what needs to be done. You've understood it. You you feel like you're being supported. You go and look. You, you physically go and look. And you go, hmm, hmm, that's not for me. And that's great because that tells you maybe that's not the strategy for you. So if you, again, visualize, you put the wheel onto a crankshaft and you go, not for me, and you take it off, you put it down, and then you put another one on, and then you start again. That way, you're speeding up your journey. Now, sometimes the journey needs to have false starts, needs to have things that don't work, because you've got to be true to your own flow and who you are as a person. And you had that experience as well, Chris, I recall, uh, when you originally went into looking at properties of primary strategy and looked at sourcing as a way to do that. And then when you experienced it, well, what was your view? Yeah, it wasn't for me. And, um, you know, following the wheel is a process that saves you time and saves you money. And uh, unfortunately, we see a lot of people who, you know, are kind of drawn in perhaps from a good marketing or, you know, a slick event of a certain strategy that, you know, is is the, the golden ticket. And, you know, people go without understanding themselves first, as you say, and by following the wheel, that can save a lot of uh, a lot of wasted energy. Yeah. And it's not for us to say, and we never do say what you should do or what you should not do. It's for you to turn your own wheel. And there are plenty of wheels that I put on the crankshaft and understood them and go, well, it's not for me. I don't, I don't really want to do that. That doesn't fit with who I am as a person. That's a really, really important part of the wealth building process. Anyway. Step four, due diligence. Now, that means many things to many people, but it means fully documenting and understanding all of the risks and how you intend to mitigate the risk because all investments, all wealth building activities carry risk. There's no risk-free investment in the world. So you have to understand those risks, document those risks carefully, and make sure you've done enough diligence. And, and part of what we do is show people what due diligence to do in all of the wealth building pillars. Now, our experience, Chris, is for many people, particularly those with the more creative wealth dynamics, uh, those who make decisions from gut instinct rather than due diligence, often will skip this stage. And, and that skipping of that stage, cheating the wheel, in other words, can lead to pain and trouble down the line when something goes wrong that could have been picked up in the due diligence stage. So really important then as you're building your wealth to make sure you've covered all of these stages. And then finally is what we call guided action. And what we mean by guided action is understanding that the purpose of building wealth isn't a single wheel turn. You don't get wealthy on a single wheel turn. I don't think I've ever seen anybody turn the wheel once and become financially independent. It's not a single wheel turn. There are multiple wheel turns, sometimes the same wheel several times. Sometimes you finish the wheel and go, oh, okay, now I see what that outcome is and when it might do something else. But either way, the purpose of the guided action is to take the action in the right order and sequence with all of the tax consequences and other things thought through um, and taking the right order to conclude and then 
bank your capital or bank your cash flow and then reevaluate what it is you want to do for your next wheel turn. That's the principle. So education, support, connection, due diligence, guided action. All of those things are an integral part of a process that we follow and we share and teach that. And we believe that when people make mistakes with their wealth, it's because they haven't followed that process. So whether you like wealth builders or not, maybe you could embrace that concept and you know create your own wheel. And we've got links, Chris, haven't we, to the visual of it. So rather than me talk about it, there's a visual and videos of us getting into a little bit more detail. And you can embrace that as your own philosophy if you want to. Um, and we'd be delighted and thrilled if you did, because then less people would make the kind of mistakes that we will often see. And when people make mistakes in wealth building, that does a lot of damage, not just financial damage, you could lose money, but relationship damage, confidence damage, uh, community damage. There's a whole raft of things that can then stop you in your tracks at the very first turn of the wheel, the very first hurdle you fall at. Uh, So what we want to do is support you to make sure that you follow the wheel properly and you don't cheat the wheel, and that should get you the result you want, we hope. But if not, definitely you bank all the lessons and turn a better wheel the next time around. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for explaining that, Kevin. And, uh, you know, the Wheel of Wealth is uh, step seven in our nine-step roadmap. We call step seven focus because you need to focus on turning one wheel at a time and generate either capital or cash flow. And we've talked about the debits challenge we're running at the moment. That's really step two in the process, that foundation stage. We've covered the roof, which is step three. So hopefully people can see that there is a tried and tested route. There's a a roadmap that if people Mm. follow that, they will get success. I like Toby, you know, it's a, a five-year plan. And if you think about, as you listen to Toby and hear that he worked for a major company, a senior, that wasn't a small income that he's trying to replace. You know, so to replace a significant income in a five-year period is testimony to what he does. But rather than me talk about Toby, why don't we hear from the man himself? Yeah, let's do that. Let's head over to our conversation today with Toby Spanier. Toby, welcome to Wealth Talk. How are you? Hi. <laughs> Hi, Christian. Good to have you on today, Toby. And uh, we are very pleased to uh, recently have announced that you will be joining the Wealth Builders coaching team for the Wealth Builders Academy. So, congratulations on that. And uh, are you looking forward to getting started? Yeah, no, I'm really excited to get started, uh, getting stuck in. And uh, I just like helping people. And it'll be, yeah, just really looking forward to it. Yeah. And this marks a bit of a new chapter in your life, doesn't it? So, it uh, does. It does. Yeah, um, what, have you, what have you just changed from from having done for quite some time? Right, so I had twenty five years in uh, with one employer in corporate as a management consultant. I started back in nineteen ninety seven, and uh, when I started, I promised myself that I wouldn't do any more than twenty five years. And obviously, this year was the twenty fifth year, so uh, I've now left, and I'm I'm now obviously fully uh, self employed. But I had a five year plan to transition from being in in full full-time employment to setting up my, a number of businesses, which I was able to do over, over the last five years to sort of seamlessly transition. Yeah, good. So well, we know good. we know you need a plan, right? And that's something Indeed. that we, uh, you know, we, we, we obviously work with our members very closely on creating their wealth plans. And uh, that's one of the first steps in our process inside the Wealth Builders Academy. So um, how did you first come across Wealth Builders, Toby? 
so back in 2017, I I went to an event and a woman called Stephanie Aitken came and talked about SAS pensions. And I thought I knew quite a bit about property at the time. I'd never heard about this SAS pension thing. And I was just, my mind was just blown away with the flexibility of SAS pensions. And uh, so I was really interested. And I followed up from there through through Stephanie, obviously met with uh, Kevin Whelan. I'm a very suspicious person, so I had to come meet him personally uh, at your HQ, just check out if it was a real business, and it was. And um, and the rest is history, really. I, I set the SAS up, and that was uh, uh, so powerful in helping me sort of fund my uh, property property journey over the last five years. Yeah, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today, which is five creative ways to help finance deals. And um, it was actually on our monthly mastermind uh, just over a week ago. We had yourself on there, Toby, and you were sharing some of your story with our members. And uh, you were talking about your you know, your journey in property. And I thought it was really interesting because you made the point about, you know, why didn't I start 10 years ago? And I think that's something that many people listening are probably either saying to themselves because they haven't yet got going, or once they do get going, they think, God, why didn't I start earlier? So, you know, how did how did that bear out for you? Yeah, I think it's it's a fear of failure. And the, the longer you wait, the bigger the perceived failure can, can become. Obviously, I had 25 years in corporate. I got to a senior level. I got a very good income coming in, but it was from one employer, uh, which is not a, a particularly secure, secure place for for the long time. Uh, and obviously, the longer I waited, the more money I would need to create in order to step out from uh, being an employee. And so, I think it's uh, it, it actually gets more difficult if you if you don't start earlier on. Uh, the, the barrier to exit gets more difficult, and that's why I realised I needed a five a five year plan where I was pretty active for all those five years to build up a, a number of businesses while also being uh, in full-time employment. Um, but you know, it can be done. I mean, once you've got a plan, uh, writing the plan is not the particularly hard. Committing the plan is is the key thing you need to do. And then you just work through the plan and stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jim Rohn said something like it's, you know, discipline is the bridge between, uh, you know, the dreams and, and actually achieving the goals. So um, it's just taking those small steps every month. And uh, we say never let 30 days go by without doing something to build your wealth. So, you know, I think for our listeners today, it's going to be very valuable, Toby. And uh, you've executed on that plan. You've successfully now stepped away from corporate life and you're focusing every day on the things that you love, building businesses and property so let's dive in and let's kind of see how this property journey has bared out for you and some of the creative ways that you've managed to finance some of the deals. So I know we're going to look at five different ways, Toby. So where should we kick off? Um, well, I think where to kick off is obviously I'm in property, but the first thing I want to say is you need to find your niche within property. I, I believe that there is a strategy for every area. So you just need to choose an area which you can get to easily, but you then need to choose a strategy that works in that area, but also that works with you. And the first I had, I've had two portfolios. The first portfolio was in the Midlands and it was uh, an HMO strategy and uh, it didn't work particularly well for me. So I exited from that business. The second portfolio was much nearer to home, uh, you know, about an hour away, uh, buying derelict buildings and bringing them back into use and then just renting them out as family homes. So quite a straightforward strategy, something not particularly complicated, something anyone can do. But that was the strategy that sort of floated my boat. And that was the wheel that I turned as you know, in, in wealth builders language. And as soon as you turn it once, it becomes easier. And then you turn it two, three, four times. And as you turn it, you realize there's more efficient ways to 
uh, more efficient things you can do. Uh, and it just becomes easier and easier. So I, I really love that wealth builder analogy about turning the wheel. Um, but I, I suppose, where do we start? You know, what's what's the first sort of creative lever that um, I was able to pull? Uh, and it's very straightforward. It is the SAS pension. Um, you know, the SAS pension is just a complete no-brainer if you're on property. And the SAS pension enable me to do loan backs to my limited company and then buy properties in cash. So my strategy was to buy unmortgageable properties, uh, properties which is derelict. And being a cash buyer, you already get a 10, 15, 20% discount on what perhaps these properties really should should be uh, going for. So that's the first thing that uh, that really, really helps. And uh, it's just the the ease of uh, – uh, and also the commitment, it, it, the confidence it gives you that you know you can offer on a property and you know you can fund it at the point that you're offering. Whereas when you're reliant on, on mortgage finance, you never quite know if you're going to get the mortgage or whether there's going to be a re- reduction or retention. So that was the first the, the first thing that's pretty much open to, to most people, yeah. uh, you know, seeing the, the, the loan back. And I, I guess, you know, being able to move quickly, you build that relationship then with agents and uh, sources and, and they know that, you know, you can move. Uh, they know that you can well. complete. They, yeah. they don't mind how long it takes. They just want to know that it's going to happen. Um, that's the important thing for them. They don't want to have to do all the work all over again when something falls through. So I think once they've seen one transaction, you're already in their little magic book and that they phone you up and say, we've got something else coming along. So you just need to... Uh, you just need to transact once and it gives you huge credibility. Um, so, yeah, that's the the, the first thing. Um, the second thing I realized is because I was doing a, a strategy of uh, buying derelict properties, they were derelict. And if they're derelict, then, well, you can't live in them. And if you can't live in them, they're not residential. If they're not residential, the residential stamp duty rate doesn't apply. So there's a 3% surcharge for property investors buying residential property, but it doesn't apply if the building is completely uninhabitable. So already I just found that there was another advantage um, to to buying in cash and buying stuff that wasn't mortgageable. Uh, and that's another way of, of, of saving some money. So tax mitigation is is just a creative finance strategy that is open to everybody. Uh, and all you need to do is understand the rules and then just follow the rules. So that was um, that was really helpful. Um, and then brings on to the third creative thing that I did. Um, and again, all these things I didn't set out with a – a really clever strategy. I just found them just by turning the wheel. But the, the third one was using the council to help fund my deals. It it sounds a bit amazing, but uh, yeah, it it, it it happens. And uh, I operate in Kent, but you know there are councils elsewhere who have similar schemes. But one of the schemes in Kent is if you uh, purchase buildings which are, are uninhabitable and you bring them back into use, then the council will give you an interest-free loan for three years to to do the works. So it's it's like having a another bank, but this is a bank that doesn't really care about your your loan to value, whether you're seventy five or eighty five percent. They they need some kind of security to give you a loan, like uh, any organisation. But I actually found it's incredibly flexible, and I fell into it because the first property I bought uh, in my second portfolio near to me, I completed on the day that lockdown was um, announced, and I thought, wow, I might not be able to finish this deal. I was going to turn into an HMO, but then I realised I didn't really have the time to do that. And I got in contact with the council of saying, do you have any emergency housing that I could support you with? Uh, and then from there, the discussion just expanded and eventually I found they were happy to give me a, a loan to do the works, which was pr- pretty amazing. Yeah. So who would be the person that, you know, you would need to go and speak to at the council? So someone listening now, if they want to try and, you know, make those inroads, where should they begin? 
Yeah, there's there's normally an empty homes officer worth phoning up. Although I have found that uh, in the Midlands, I, I had a portfolio in Corby, the you know, and it's a uh, quite a deprived area. Some parts are quite deprived. There's no money at all. <laughs> Whereas in affluent areas, such as in Kent, there's actually quite a lot of money, even though they're quite affluent areas. So empty homes officer is a good person. Also have a look at uh, um, uh, derelict schemes. Just go onto the, the website. And the great thing about councils is it's all transparent. Just spend half an hour just on, on their website and see if they have any schemes available. They may have like a, a no-use empty scheme or a, a derelict property scheme. Uh, there may be a strategic um, regeneration person within the council, and you can get them a call. Like all these things, you've, you've, got, you've got to start with uh, making a phone call or going to an event. I went to a National Landlords Association's event and met someone in the council and just have a chat with them. Once they realise that you're not, you know, that, that you're for real, you're not just some flash in the pan, you're committing to an area and you, you want to invest in the area, then all of a sudden they start to tell you things that you can't find on the website. So once you've got their trust, they know that you're generally in this for the long term, then they kind of just open up. And once you got in, got your foot in the door, then they just keep on coming back to you. So they, they've done so many loans with me now. It's uh, I can't even remember how many. But uh, obviously I'm giving them something that they need, which is there are derelict properties. They, they need renovation. Uh, it's perhaps not econ- economic, which is why they've remained derelict. And of course, once it's done, the council gets council tax, so they're happy with that. The loan eventually returns after three years. And with quite a lot of my properties, I, I put in uh, LHA tenants. So the council's really happy about that as well. So they're getting quite a lot out of it too. Uh, and um, yeah, so I think it's a bit of digging around. And to begin with, you may get a no, but just keep on just asking and building those connections. And you know, magic stuff happens. Uh, as I said, I didn't start expecting there was going to be free money out there. I just did my thing. And then the council went, oh, this is quite good. Have you thought of this loan scheme that we've got? Ooh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. So it's it's just about, you know, building your network and, and talking to people really. Yeah. And as you said, they've got the money. They need to they need to lend it, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, it, it's kind of comic. There's a guy whose job is to get the money out and he's really, really stressed until the money is out of his bank account or out of the council's bank account. His job is just to give money out. Um, so it's a very uh, a very interesting environment where you're working with the public sector and they actually want to give you money uh, because those are their metrics. They are not doing a good job unless the money is out in the marketplace. And because it's one of these schemes where it's a three-year interest-free loan, the money then comes back after three years and they have to get it back out again. So uh, he's he's my my favourite person. In the yeah, he's going to be top of your Christmas card list this year. Indeed. <laughs> Right. Well, that's a fantastic tip, that one. Thanks, Toby. Yeah, and I, I think the way it started was I, I, did, I did a refurb. Um, I, you know, I, I just did the quality that I always do. Uh, I then um, I took a small loan from the council. I then, and this is what people didn't do or don't do. I invited the council to come and have a look at it. Now, normally people just take the loan, spend the money. The council doesn't hear about it. But I actually invited the council to come have a look. And when they came and had a look, they were just blown away with the quality of what I did. I mean, I, I can't do a worse quality. I just do a good job. Um, and they, they went, oh, this is amazing. Oh, do you know, we, we also have a scheme for, do you do commercial property? We also got a scheme for that. Oh, do you do new build? And they just started to open up. And that's the thing. Once you've got your foot in the door and you prove to them that you're for real and you're doing what they want, then they become much more amenable and tell you stuff that you normally wouldn't find out about. So that's the third thing. Obviously, in different areas, there'll be different schemes. I don't know what they are outside of Kent, but it's it's well worth just sort of building those relationships with with councils. Going to 
uh, you know, NRLA and and other sort of um, networking events because the council are there and that's a good place to meet them. Yeah. Can I just ask as well, Tony, uh, Toby, how are you going about finding those derelict properties? Are you, are you just going online searching or, you know? So I've got, yeah, I've got a sourcing agent who's brilliant, sends me deals every day, doesn't charge me at all. And they are absolutely you know, instant. And he's called Rightmove, right? So I have my Rightmove alerts. And most properties that I buy have been on Rightmove at some points. They may have gone on Rightmove and then come off Rightmove and then they're off market. And then I've followed up when I've noticed that they haven't sold by sending a letter direct to vendor. So I, I've bought a few that way. But um, yeah, pretty much everything that that is on or off market at some point, someone has tried to sell it through traditional means. And I've got a very visual memory and I can remember properties that uh, have been on Rightmove and haven't sold. You know, or I've, I've checked after three, four months, has this property sold? No, it hasn't. Right. Let me write to the vendor. Um, so that's the first thing. The other thing I do is I, I literally just walk around my area and take photos of, of properties that are derelict, go home, spend three pounds on land registry, find out who owns them and write and write to them. And uh, surprisingly, it works very well. People write back and say, yeah, they, they want to sell their properties. Excellent. So, I mean, those things, again, uh, everyone can can do that. There's, there's no sort of secret sauce. It's just uh, about being a bit about being consistent the other tool i have is something called an excel spreadsheet this is really really high tech i don't pay a subscription to use it i've just got it on my on my laptop and i just each line is another property and i just have notes about it and i i follow up and sometimes i follow up a year later and i found oh i thought it sold it hasn't sold let me write to the vendor oh they want to sell it so just that you know that the money is in the follow-up and the follow-through and some just very basic tools that anyone can do if you just follow them consistently they they do work so um yeah that's sort of the uh the third sort of area the fourth area which i think is a creative financing strategy and i think really good as we um go into a a recession is just the social housing uh aspect the the lha tenants which traditionally private landlords have wanted to steer away from but normally they want to stray away from them because they don't understand it they go oh the money's rubbish so why would i possibly want to do that they don't really understand that um, there are massive advantages. You never have any voids. You never have any letting agent because the council is your letting agent and they don't charge you. You have very low maintenance because you have very low voids. Um, you have no bad debt because the council pay you directly if the tenant doesn't pay. Uh, you, can, you can set up how you want. You can set up sometimes the tenant pays me directly. Sometimes they prefer if I'm paid directly by the council. So I know I'm always, always there's no bad debt. Uh, so that's really good. But also, LHA is index linked, isn't it? Every year, the LHA rates go up. Uh, should be by inflation. We'll, we'll find out if, uh, if they do go up by inflation this year, but they'll still go up pretty significantly. Um, and, and the other thing, which the, the big thing uh, people miss is they look at the LHA rates for, for a property and go, oh, I've got a two-bed property, therefore it's the two-bed rate. Oh, um, that's not very much. But what they don't realise is it's not what your house is. It's what the eligibility is of the tenant. And the tenant is eligible for a three or four bed property and they choose to, to take your property, then they're eligible for the three or four bed rate. So people are comparing the wrong thing. They're looking at uh, the two bed rate for uh, LHA tenants and they're looking at their two bed property. They don't realise that their two bed property could be classed as a three bed property by the council because it has a downstairs room that doesn't need anywhere else. And therefore, actually, they're comparing the, the wrong thing. So I've invariably found that you can get more money from 
uh, LHA tenants than you would get from just private rental. And that really confuses most private landlords because they think, how can that possibly be? But it's about understanding how the LHA system works and, and what tenants are are entitled to. And in terms of tenant, do you find there's any uh, you know more problematic issues with LHA tenants than than, than normal? You're working with the council, and the council is your letting agent, and it's a relationship with them. And if you're not happy with uh, the person they put forward, you can ask for someone else. Um, I find that uh, I haven't taken the first person that the council's recommended, uh, but I do. I, I, I like to give my properties to to families who really need them, you know, and will appreciate it. And you know, you find out about the family's backgrounds that the council discloses. That some of them haven't had, haven't had great backgrounds, and uh, it's nice to be able to know that I'm using my properties to to help people who who are really in need. Um, so that part's really good, and I, I think the. The family let is, you know, it's backed by the council. You're always going to get paid. You're always going to get paid on time. If you don't get paid on time, the council will pay. So the main issue that um, landlords have is they think, what if I don't get paid? If someone's not working, then uh, how am I going to get the money? Well, actually, it's kind of the opposite. You know, sometimes my private tenants don't want to pay, even though they've got plenty of money. But on the LHA front, if they don't pay for one month and one day, then I just fill in the form online and the council starts paying me directly. So, you know, it's actually a lower risk method of uh, securing uh, long term rent. Yeah. Uh, and, it will, you know, it will go up every year with, you know, with some measure of inflation. Yeah. No, that's really good to hear. And uh, during COVID, did you have any LHA tenants during that period of time? Yes. So the first property I bought, which I bought uh, during lockdown, I was going to turn into an HMO. I thought I thought the government may stop all building work. They didn't. But at the time, I thought that might might happen i thought do i really want to rip out a perfectly decent property to make it into a seven bed hmo and then find halfway through that i'm not allowed to do it that's probably not a very good idea and that's when i phoned up the council and said do you have any schemes uh you know refugee housing or emergency housing things that i thought would go with the government would allow to happen during the covid lockdown period and uh, it turned out they just had a, an lha tenant um who you know was in desperate need of uh, with lots of kids she had uh, five kids uh, and really needed somewhere to move into. And, uh, you know, I met the tenant. I liked her, um, knew her story and thought, yeah, fine, let's go down this route. And because the person really needed uh, the property, I mean, she felt like it was like all her Christmases had come at once when she came to see the property. Um, you just got that gratitude when they go in and then they don't they don't bicker about things not being totally perfect. It wasn't the best refurb. I was doing it during lockdown. We couldn't get supplies. We couldn't get carpets that matched Every room is a different colour carpet, you know, so that there was con- some constraints. But the tenant was totally happy with that. So, um, yeah, um, it, it worked out pretty well. It, it turned out not to be an emergency housing tenant, just a normal tenant, uh, but who, who's getting their, their um, housing allowance from the, from the council. But, yeah, it worked out really, really well. Excellent. Well, there's four creative ways. What's our number five, Toby? So I think the the fifth creative way is... The fact that after six months, I bought in cash. Um, I've had six months. I've added value, and I can refinance. And normally, when you refinance, you you purchase a property with a mortgage, so you're only getting a, a small amount of money back each time you refinance. But if you're buying in cash using a loan back, you get this massive injection of of cash that more than covers the purchase price, all your refurb costs, and and a bit more. And it just enables you to go, great, I can now buy another property or I could buy three properties 
with mortgages. So you know, it's kind of linked to the loan back, but it's going from the loan back, which is alternative finance, into the traditional finance uh, uh, system and just providing you know your vanilla lenders with exactly what they want, which is it's been six months since you bought the property. The property is all perfectly refurbed, looks lovely. Uh, there may already be a tent in place, which means they've got evidence of, of what the parting rent is. Um, and you, you can just turn the wheel again. Uh, one other thing that also helped was, as we're turning the wheel, I had a team of people and I was able just to run them from project to project to project. And that just became more and more efficient. And as prices have gone up, people have had real issues getting hold of, uh, of labour. But I haven't had that issue because I've just been able to keep my team busy uh, from project to project. So again, turning the wheel just gets easier and easier and easier. And I hear from a lot of my colleagues, oh, they have to pay more and more and more to get Labour to turn up. Well, I don't. I've, I've already got the team there. But that's all about turning the wheel and repeatedly turning the wheel. So, yeah, I, I, I think I don't think there's anything in there really that that people listening to this couldn't do themselves. I mean, everyone can set up an alert on Rightmove. Everyone can set up the council. Everyone can set up – most people who've got a, bit, a property business can set up a, a, a SAS and, and, and do loan back. Uh, people can choose to go down a, a social um, housing strategy. Um, there's nothing really in this that's that complicated. But once you start to stitch them all together, it just makes deals that previously you might not want to do, deals that are, are, are totally doable. And especially with me buying derelict properties, sometimes I think, hmm, is this going to work? But when the council are happy to give you, you know, £40,000 in cash to uh, to help fund it, it just makes uh, the, the deal work so much better, or well, 80000 that they've done in the past uh it just you know just just helps just makes that wheel easier and easier to turn yeah that's fantastic no really really great examples there toby and um you know very pleased to see your journey accelerating now and um interesting you know you said at the beginning you know everybody's wealth plan is different right you need to first understand yourself and, and we obviously do the wealth dynamics assessment with all of our members so you know if you're kind of creative ideas person or you're a very meticulous detailed process driven person and you build the team around you to support that right so that you're in flow you're doing what you love you're doing what you're good at and there's many many different property strategies uh, i'm interested because you mentioned hmos were a strategy that you obviously spent some time on at the beginning and then you decided that wasn't for you you know what was that decision in particular um, and, and why do you feel that didn't fit you particularly yeah so there's a guy called peter drucker who is a management guru and he said there's nothing more efficient there's nothing more useless than doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. And I realized with the uh, HMO strategy, I just kind of outsourced everything. It was a long way away from where I lived, so it was seven hours to get there and back. I was very reliant on on other people, and I couldn't really take a direct control myself. And I realized I could make everything better. I realized I could get a better letting agent. I could perhaps be more efficient with my utilities and you know uh, get a better scheme, et cetera, et cetera. But all that is just doing something more efficiently, something which I thought actually shouldn't be done at all, which was the HMO uh, strategy wasn't performing brilliantly for me. It was making more more money than uh, buy-to-lets, but it wasn't making sufficiently more money to justify all the additional management time. And uh, once you have to pay a different cleaner and then a, a gardener every week, and then you know, you've know got all these other costs and all these moving parts, just paying people takes time. And I realized, hmm, I got up to 50 rooms very quickly. And it started becoming another job as opposed to a more passive uh, form of, of income. Uh, I don't mean passive, I mean recurrence without lots of management time. And I just realized that uh, when I looked locally at property prices, they weren't really 
that much different to the Midlands. And that it, when I looked at uh, the cheaper finance you have for just normal buy-to-lets, uh, less all the costs of utility bills, etc., that actually it was only a couple of hundred pounds. You know, I could still make five hundred pounds a month per property um, with a buy-to-let, and I was making seven or seven fifty uh, cash flow after all my costs on an HMO. So, was it really worth another two hundred or maximum two hundred fifty pounds a month for all the additional work that I had to do? And the answer was was no. Um, so that's why I, I I shifted my strategy. But some people do the HMO thing really really well. You know, they're able to get a thousand pounds plus per per month, which is brilliant. And uh, yeah, I mean, if it, as I said, you just need a strategy that fits your area and also a strategy that fits who you are. And for me, I just wanted a more recurrent type model with less moving parts uh, because I love coming up with the creative ideas, but I don't like all the management stuff around it. That's not my genius. Yeah, yeah. Now, Toby, you'll obviously be working with our members uh, as as one of our coaches, as we mentioned. And, uh, you know, we have people of all different stages, right? People who are quite advanced already, and they're moving from security to independence, or even independence to abundance. And then people who are right at the beginning of their journey as well. And, you know, in the current economic storm that we're finding ourselves in, someone who's perhaps brand new to property, they're looking at the interest rates, which have just rocketed this year, what would be your advice to them in terms of, you know, getting started now in property? I think it's a great time to get started. I think any time is a great time to buy property. You just have to buy property at the right price. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment. Uh, and so this isn't a typical situation. But, you know, you know, mortgage prices have shot up and it's going to be a while before they come back down again. And they're going to go up a bit more before they do. So, you know, we always teach people to use a figure of 6% on their mortgages, but people have got used to ultra-low mortgage at 2%. If it doesn't work at 6%, then you shouldn't do it. Um, and now it actually turns out the mortgages are at 6%. So it means you need to work a bit harder uh, on buying things for the right price, but it doesn't mean that there, there aren't opportunities out there. Um, you just got to back yourself. And also I think when you're starting out, um, you know, you, you've got you've got other sources of funding when you, you first start out. You have a little cash pile. Um, and, you know, th- that... That will get you through your first property. All you need to do is buy one property. Once you've bought one property, you've turned the wheel once. You realise it's not that difficult and you realise you can do it better next time. But no, for 10 years, I could have got onto property and I didn't because I had this fear of failure. And it only changed when I surrounded myself with people from that network, you know, people who are buying properties, people who are uh, you know, self-employed. And then I realised, well, if they can do it, how, how difficult is it? And it just gave me that confidence to get started. And I, I wish I just got myself into that kind of network 10 years earlier because I'll be 10 years on, but uh, it is what it is. But for for me, it's really just surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded and that just gives you the confidence because it's a lonely job being a a property investor. You've got to back yourself. You've got to make the decision of do I offer this price? And if I do, can I make it work? And yeah, that's a, it's a big decision, but the more you surround yourself with people who've done that before, the easier it is to start believing in yourself. Yeah, great words to leave us on there, Toby. Welcome to the team and thanks for being a great guest on Wealth Talk today. Thank you very much, Christian. Really enjoyed it. Okay, fantastic uh, tips and uh, ways that Toby has managed to build his way to financial independence. And um, we'll plenty for us to dive into there, Kevin. Before we do that, let's head to Trustpilot as we do each week. And uh, we've got a great review that's coming from Peter 
who says, wealth builders were excellent at helping me to set up my SaaS. They trained me in the complexities of the rules and regulations involved and helped me to develop a strategy to suit my company and my own needs. A pension is such an important subject in anyone's life, which requires a great deal of trust in a company like Wealth Builders. Luckily, they have been extremely helpful and trustworthy. I like that word trust. He uses the word trust twice. Uh, trust and trustworthy. And to be worthy of trust, you've got to have integrity. You've got to do what's right. And a lot of people you know, out there will criticize Wealth Builders from the point of view of saying, we believe in education. We believe in the power of good education. And they'll say, oh, no, you can do a SaaS on your own without that help. But nobody who's ever had a SaaS has ever been a SaaS trustee before, has ever been a trustee, an owner with leadership and diligence to run their own pension scheme. And I don't think you can do that without good instruction. It'd be like giving someone a Formula One car, a high-performance vehicle, and saying, get on with it. You couldn't do that. You simply couldn't do that. You have to have instruction. So I make no apology for the fact that we encourage SaaS owners to become compliant, confident, and capable trustees. And we do that with a process which is turning the wheel on SaaS. Okay? So I'm glad he's done that, and we've helped thousands of people turn that wheel successfully, Chris, and we'll watch with great interest what Peter does with his SaaS, as Toby uh, was doing some excellent work with his that uh, you managed to out of that interview absolutely well that was the first creative way that toby uh shared with us and uh i think in his words he said it's a no-brainer if you're in property and um you know we're advocates of people taking control of their pensions and even if that's not with a SaaS, it's just taking control and really making sure that you know you're, you're reducing your charges and you, you know you have you have good oversight of what's what's happening yeah and for most people pensions are one of those gray dreary opaque subjects that seem to get consigned into, oh, I must look at that someday, but they don't and consequently get a much worse result uh, than they'd expect, which is why, you know, part of the contributory factor that 95% of the population don't become financially independent because of their over-reliance on pensions that, for the most part, are extraordinarily bad value for money, which is why one of the steps in our debits process, uh, the S for stock market, S, you know, debits, debt education, bills, insurance, tax, and stock market fees, is to help people reduce those costs, conscientiously uh, reduce the cost, often by as much as 50%, Chris. So anybody out there, if you've got a UK pension and you're not sure what your charges are, go find out and then take a seat and go, bloody hell, I didn't realise they were that expensive. You know, and we're, I think we're doing on the debits challenge next week, Chris, the seven layers of charges that most people are paying in their pension. It's horrific. Um, anyway, I'm glad Toby spotted that. And as he said, it's a no-brainer. It's not a no-brainer for everyone, of course. Nothing is a no-brainer for everyone. But uh, you get the point. He's done a really, really great job with that. Yeah, and uh, the T of the debits uh, challenge is uh, for tax. And that was point number two for, for Toby. Uh, his strategy involves the purchase of derelict buildings. And he said there's no stamp duty to pay there. So, you know, a, a tax saving. Well, look, anything you can do to get a tax saving, I mean, SAS is a tax saving because you get your corporation tax back and your company's like the government giving you some money to, to go and build your wealth with, which I think is great. Um, but I think if you can discover for yourself a rich niche 
where you can find pockets of opportunity, not just in what you deliver as a service to the end user, but also how you can get access to other people's money to help you do that. And if there's no stamp duty on derelict buildings, and I think he goes on to talk about you know, the fact you can get loans. You know, can you imagine an interest-free loan from a local authority to bring a derelict building into good use? I mean, how smart is that? And that's available. Not every local authority is going to have the money, but that's the skill of a wealth builder, isn't it, is to go find out. You know, So go and check that out wherever you live in the UK. Um, and maybe there's some parallels in other countries, but you could go find out from your local authority um, exactly whether there's any funds available to bring derelict buildings uh, into into life. And breathing new life into buildings is good for society, you know, because they're an eyesore, they're, they attract bad things, don't they? And um, there's lots of good reasons. So I'm, I'm impressed with not just what Toby's doing, but but the impact he's having in the area in which he works. Yeah, and that rolls into his fourth point, which was, you know, really helping people in need. So working with the councils to find tenants. And, um, you know, one of the benefits there is you're not going to have voids. Um, you know, the council is is going to make sure that you get paid. Um, so, yeah, a, again, a, a feeling of doing some good in the world, which, of course, is an important aspect of building wealth. Well, I mean, a lot of people who buy property will decide and then have to do that due diligence on whether they're going to manage and maintain the properties themselves or use an agent. How about getting the local authorities you're letting agent? That's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, somebody else becomes your paid letting agent or unpaid rather, an unpaid letting agent. I mean, that's just a great thing to know. And uh, I think that's, again, you're seeing now the cutting edge of smart people is to find these distinctions that will make them more profitable. So there's there's value in the mission, but also there's there's value for the wider society in that same mission. So and and, and there are many other ways to do that, including supported living and and other aspects where you're bringing good to, uh, to the world. So we've had people on this podcast, Chris, talk about supported living and providing accommodation and care uh, to a whole group of different types of tenants that we think are very valuable in society to support. And yet they're working with local authorities and housing associations and care providers. And that means there's greater security in terms of the tenure of the tenant, but also in you getting paid as as a landlord. So that uh, keeps the sustainability of your profit. So all very good things here. That's right. And um, of course, Toby's adding value. We know that's important when it comes to building wealth. And uh, because he's adding value, he's able to remortgage those properties after the six-month period and recycle his cash. And, and that's how he's obviously moving forwards to acquire more properties uh, You know, at quite some rate. Yeah. And if you think about the principle of adding value to a property, which is appreciation, okay, so the asset is worth X and it's worth one and a half X or two X. You can tap into that in one of two ways, can't you? Now, you can tap into it in this way that Toby's doing, and it's not necessarily the only way, but by essentially raising refinance and by refinancing, that leverage is then used to be able to acquire more property. And that's great. And then if you're making more profit, then you can come back to the table and almost start to reduce your debt equity. So you start off with... 
a high level of debt leverage, but as you make more profit, you start to reduce that. So that's one strategy. The other is not to debt leverage too much. In other words, to leave money in the in the property itself, but at some point come back and take the equity out as income, tax free. You know, so if you raised a hundred thousand from a remortgage on a piece of property, you could spend that money. Now you still got the debt, but if you're growing or your income is coming in, you've got tax free income there. So there's many ways that you can use the equity in property, which is back to home capacity, which is pillar number one and then pillar number four, building a property portfolio. So all of these things work together, Chris, to help people understand you could be creative to build wealth. A lot of people who talk about not building their wealth say, oh, I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. It's not the resources that's lacking here. It's resourcefulness. And you get resourcefulness by being in a community, by being inside a trusted group of people who share with you the distinctions and differences, the intellectual shortcuts they found that they share with you in a trusted environment that you can go and follow yourself when you didn't even think of it. You couldn't even think of it because your brain isn't wired that way. And that's the power of community, which I know also is an important point for for Toby. Definitely. Yeah, Toby ended up saying how important it is to have like-minded people around you. And uh, Toby knows that because he's been a member of the Wealth Builders community for a number of years now. And, uh, you know, if anyone listening, Kevin, is thinking, wow, you know, there's some really great ideas today. I mean, imagine having Toby as your coach, right? Uh, Every month, being able to have a one-to-one and have Toby give you, you know, his experience and help you on your own wealth building journey. So uh, if anyone's listening, that's exactly what we do inside the Wealth Builders Academy. And, um, you know, feel free to book a call. Uh, We can have a chat, you and I. We can see if we're a good fit for one another and uh, invite you into the academy and, and we'll be there to support you. Yeah, and we don't want to promise that the support on that level might be Toby himself because we've got a number of other equally good and proficient coaches in our in our coaching community, Chris. So we don't want to promise Toby, but Toby is a, a new addition to our coaching community and we're thrilled, delighted to have him as he marks a new chapter in his own life. And that's given him also the freedom to be able to buy and acquire more properties to build even more wealth which is really when you're moving on from financial independence into financial abundance. And that might be the subject of another podcast. Absolutely. So uh, really enjoyed today's episode. Hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, If you did and you think someone else might enjoy that, then please hit share on your podcasting app. And uh, if you have been a regular listener over the last few months, then why not head to Trustpilot yourself and leave us a little review and we'll be more than happy to read that one out in a future episode. Okay. Well, that was a good episode, Chris. Yeah. Good. Well, we'll be back same time, same place next week. Okay, then. And until then, my friend, see ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build, and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.